Well, the, the other day I, I got up, um, I was in the church and getting ready to do my, my Bible reading for the day. And I had, and it, it was Thursday morning, so I'd had my Wednesday night Bible study the night before. And, and I used one particular Bible in my Bible study that's, that's kind of tattered and, and ratty now, but it's my Bible. And uh, anybody like that? Anybody have a ratty Bible that you use even though it's falling apart? And so this thing's falling apart. And, and so I got up. Or I sit at my desk and I, I pulled up my one note to see where I was supposed to be reading and, 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 and I couldn't find my Bible. I couldn't find it anywhere. And, and I, I mean, I, you know, I started to get a little frantic. I was, I was looking all over for this Bible. I was searching the church. It was like 30 minutes of looking for this Bible to do my daily reading in. Now, now I want you to understand that in my, in my, in my office... I probably have two dozen Bibles. I have the Bible on my phone. I have the Bible on my computer. But, but, but I was in this routine that every morning when I did my devotions, when I read my Bible in my office, this torn up Bible, which didn't contain any different words than the other dozen Bibles in my office, was the Bible I'd used for my devotions. Anybody else like that? See, we tend to gravitate towards what is comfortable and known. As a matter of fact, as I look through this sanctuary, most of you are sitting almost in the exact seat you sat in last Sunday, right? We tend to sit in the same seats with the same people. There's very few of us that move around. I've shared often, my dad said he never sat in the same seat because it's harder to hit a moving target. And it's some pretty good advice for us all to take. But you sit in the same seats. You know, we do the same things. We go to the same places. Terry and I, when we were still living in, in, in Fairfield, we would go to the Chili's uh, in Bridgewater, which is just down the road from us. And, and it got to the point that the waitress would give us our order as we sat down, right? Go <laughs> soup and salad, two Diet Cokes, I'll be right back with your chips. Because uh, she knew our order. So, so we're, we tend to be like that. And I, I think I'm pretty typical. We, we, we tend to order the same things. You know, at Starbucks, I get an Americana. At McDonald's, I get sausage McMuffins because they're $1 and I'm cheap, okay? Yeah, Chipotle, I get a chicken bowl, Kazunite. But we tend to gravitate towards what is comfortable and known. And that's fine with restaurants and sitting in the church and using a particular Bible and doing things like that. But this even affects our relationships. Even in our relationships, we tend to befriend people and draw close to people with similar likes and dislikes that, that look pretty much like us, that, that have similar backgrounds, similar interest that root for Ohio State. Sorry, Clint, were you not in here? What's the phrase? Birds of a feather tend to flock together. <laughs> you know, and as, as I even just think about that phrase, you know, there, there's, there's those birds that all the feathers are the same color, <laughs> and they're pretty dull. 
But then there's the birds with multiple flat feathers. <laughs> uh, we need to be a multi-feathered bird <laughs> because there is a beauty that can only happen when you have the distinction of color that you see in those kind of birds. And, and so these things aren't wrong, they're natural. It's, it's not bad or it's, it's not unnatural that you tend to gravitate towards people who think the same as you and look the same as you and act the same as you and, and have similar kind of backgrounds. But it tends to make us less understanding. And it tends to make us less open. And it can lead to this phrase that I've been using, meism where I'm only friends with people who think and act like me. And can we acknowledge that God calls us to more than that? He does. God calls us to friendship that goes deeper than similar culture. Um, Ephesians 4, 1 through 6. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. Now, now, when we read that, we think, oh, well, okay, well, yeah, one God in this church. And, 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 and there's certainly, that's, that's true. But we have to understand the context of who Paul is writing to and the issues that they were facing in their church are similar to some of the issues that we face in our church or any church. See, the church was made up of a wide variety of people. And we talked about this two weeks ago. There were Gentiles and Jews who have gathered together in the church. And they were struggling with this ideal of connection. <laughs> Imagine you're, you're a, a Jewish person and your entire life, your parents and your grandparents have said this, you can't associate with a Gentile. I mean, that, that, that was their culture. That, that, they had been raised in that. And now all of a sudden, they're sitting side by side in a church worshiping the same God through Jesus Christ together. And, and all these barriers that were once there, they were going to have to let go of. And so they were being stretched. Different personal convictions. One would have a bacon sandwich in the morning, and the other wouldn't, right? And it goes deeper than that. You know, there, there are some deep personal convictions, and personal convictions aren't wrong, but if personal convictions aren't universal, folks, when we allow these personal convictions to separate us from others, we're missing what God's trying to do. Different backgrounds different likes and dislikes worshiping together. 
the, and, and say we don't understand this so much. And, and, and this church in this age, although churches in the past have had this as well, men and women worshiping together. As a matter of fact, women serving in leadership positions in the church. Now, now the Gentile world could accept that, but these Jewish folks, this was not the way things were done. And yet here it was in the church. You know, the, the women weren't separated, but they were right there with, with, with them. And it reminds me of my, my, my legal boss, Marilyn Dunoff. She'd, she'd go to the Orthodox Jewish services, and even still, the men would sit on one side and the women would sit on the other side. This separation, this bringing together through Jesus Christ. But in the early church, men and women were equals. <laughs> Masters and slaves. Masters and slaves. Worshiping together. Now, of course, we've got to get past our, our cultural um, dislike, distaste, hatred of slavery. <laughs> you know, it's not acceptable, but can you see the beauty in it anyhow? That, that somehow in this time in history, God is bringing a master and a slave as united and together and on the same level, worshiping God together. There's a beauty in that. And we talked about this earlier, that the early church practiced radical inclusion. There, there, there's no other way to describe it, that, that the, the early church accepted people and allowed them to grow and allowed the spirit to move them. There's examples and, 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 and oftentimes people say, well, what about when Paul writes to the church in Corinth about that guy that needs to be excluded? That guy was living with his stepmother and creating all sorts of conflict in the church. And as far as I know, that is one of the only times in Paul's letters he ever says, kick them out. And it was in a situation where it was creating extreme disunity. Otherwise, the church was bringing people in and allowing the church to do what the church is meant to do and form people into the image of Jesus Christ. Even though there were differences. You know, this is extremely important for us to see, this, this ideal of radical inclusion, particularly in a church where deep friendships are formed like ours. Can, can, can we acknowledge, can we talk about the elephant in the room, <laughs> that our church has some really deep, close friendships without you guys stoning your pastor? It's true, right? Can, can, can we be honest enough to acknowledge? And, and there's nothing wrong with deep friendships. But it's possible for a church to be friendly without truly being open to others. See, see it's possible to have deep relationships so deep, in fact that there's no opening when other people begin to come into our church. See, if our relational cupboard is so full that, that we don't have space for others, 
if we don't always live with an awareness of the opportunities and the people coming into our midst and our relational cupboard is so full that, that, that there's no space for anyone else to break in unless they think exactly like us, unless they like the same things, then it can lead to meism. Now, now you understand what you say, well, what's wrong with that? Meism is always damaging if we practice it. Always. When it all becomes about me, there is always damage. And we close God's ability off to use us like he'd like to use us. It harms us. It destroys ultimately, folks, when it all becomes about me, I damage the other relationships in my life. And so although we may be thinking, oh, well, it's these people that I like and these close relationships, this is good for me. (laughs) Ultimately, there's damage at the end. There's harm. See, God has more in mind. And the church, this place, this, this local church, becomes this forming tool. Where when we come into these doors, when we become part of this place, one of the covenants we make is that we want to allow, we want to allow this place, and, and agree with me, if, say, say amen if you agree with this, you want the church to have its full function in your life. Right? And one of the ways we allow the church to have its full function in our life is we, uh, we understand that this place becomes a gathering place for people who might be different than us. And as God opens us up to accept others, it helps us to escape the tyranny of ourselves and become open to other people. So God calls us to this radical inclusion even to people who are different than me. Even the people that might be a little weird. All the people look at me and wave, right? But it's not just for your spiritual development. Um, It's it's not just for my (laughs) well-being that I'm open to others. But it's for the good of the church. It's so that this place can become truly what God intends this place to be. Everyone that's sitting in this room, if you've become committed to this church, it was not because of the organization. I would venture to say it's it's not even usually because of the pastor or the singing, if you're drawn in, it's because of the relationships that's been formed in this place. Amen? Amen? That, that, that you've developed friendships and relationships. And even when the pastor's sermon stinks, your friends are still here. And there's these relational connections that are formed. See, people don't just join an organization. They become personally connected with other members. And what happens in a church where it's difficult, where there's deep-formed relationships, and it's difficult for people to move past those deep-formed relationships, is no matter how much they may like aspects of the church, 
unless true friendships are formed, eventually they just drift away. Um, you say, well, that's fine with me. Some people do. And can I tell you, if you're saying that, you're missing the point. You're missing the whole beauty and significance of this place, and you're missing what it can do in your life. Closed off churches are not healthy churches. They're not. And eventually, they die. And in dying, they harm those who belong to them. If we want to be ultimately healthy, if we want to be ultimately whole, we have to strive for a healthy church. And if we want a healthy church, we have to be an open church. And when we're an open church and a healthy church, it's not only good for our community, but it's good for us. And this passage, what I love about the Bible, <laughs> I love a lot of things about the Bible. If you love the Bible, say amen. amen. All right? Uh, if you stayed up too late watching Ohio State last night, say amen. Thank you. I was going to make sure we didn't have any liars here, but give them the warning, Christy. We were going to preach about lying next week. But the Bible's so practical. And there's, there's aspects of the Bible that's a, whoo, man, that's up there. You know, have the mind of Christ. <laughs> Be holy like I'm holy. Man, I read those things. Those blow me away. Anybody else? But then you find portions of Scripture that are just practical. Be completely humble and gentle. <laughs> Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Yeah, this isn't overly complicated, folks, right? Can, can, we, can we acknowledge that this is not so far beyond us, that these aren't principles we don't understand, that we can't be striving for? These are the kind of things you say to your, your child when they're going to kindergarten. This is Christianity 101. This is the beginning. This is if we want to be one body, if we want to be open, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another, in love. The only thing about this passage is, let me ask it this way. Has anyone in this room ever prayed that God would give them more patience? What does he do? <laughs> he doesn't just give you patience. He gives you events and things in your life that requires that you practice patience. He makes you wait. That's why I've stopped praying for that. So what's it take to be completely humble and gentle, patient, bearing with one another in love? How does God create humility, gentleness, patience in his people? How does he teach us to bear with one another in love? You know what I found? <laughs> and I found this to be true in the church. He places people around us in the church that stretches us. 
You want to live these? Now, now, don't look at anybody and point when I'm talking about this. But in this body, in anybody, in any church that's gathered, unless it's just decided to close itself off and will not be stretched anymore, in any church, there will be people in the church that are stretchers. <laughs> As a matter of fact, I may be at times, and you may be at times. And it's in those hard relationships, the more difficult relationships, that God will teach us and allow us to grow and do those characteristics of humility and patience and, and, and love and doing good. You know, we've been talking about practices, and this week we're going to close with, with communion and we'll talk more about that. But communion, the, the things we do in the church are not things that we do that's here and have no connection to how we live our lives. You, you understand that? You know, that, that that's, that's one reason, in, in some respects, I understand that, that that's perhaps different than some pastors. I, I, may, I may communicate differently. Uh, that, that I don't have a pulpit and I don't, you know, I don't, you know, dress in a suit and tie, nothing wrong with suits and ties. But, but, but one thing I want to convey to you is this, that what we're talking about today is real life stuff. And it applies not just in this place, but it applies at home. Okay? And so the things that, the practices that we do in a church are practices that are meant to influence and affect the way we live our lives. And so we gather in here and, and we sing songs. And we're going to talk about singing next week. And we sing regardless of the circumstances. We, we praise God. And, and the practice in here is meant to develop a practice out there where regardless of what's going on, I am going to worship God. I am going to give God thanks for the things that he has done. <laughs> That, that I will lift my voice and I will praise my God. That is the practice that's being developed. When we greet one another, when, when we say, hey, I want you to give somebody a hug, that the practice that is supposed to develop is this ideal of hospitality, that, that we're open to others, that, that we're willing to reach out to other people. And, and communion is one of those practices that is meant to develop within the people of God, not just an awareness of God, but an awareness, I believe, an awareness of God in every significant relationship of our life. That, that God wants to be in the middle of that relationship, and he wants us to be open in those relationships. Jesus says, now, now when you take these elements, I, I want you to remember that I'm in your midst. And it's easy to look at that and think, oh, well, every time they received communion, they thought, well, Jesus was in the midst. I don't think that's what happened. I think every time they picked up bread and wine, they thought about Jesus. As a matter of fact, after the resurrection on the Emmaus Road, that wasn't communion, right? Right? And they sat down, and he broke the bread, and he prayed, and the two that he was with said, that's Jesus, and he's right in the midst of this relationship. And so I think 
communion, one of the things, and we're going to talk about communion here in, in a few weeks, one of the things communion is supposed to form within us is this awareness that to sit down and eat with somebody is holy and sacred. That, that, that when you leave this place today and you go to Wendy's or you go home or you go to wherever you go and you sit down and eat with your family, that in that sacred, holy moment, the God of the universe wants to be present right in the middle of it. And he doesn't want it be, to be this closed off practice. But he wants it to be something where our tables are open and our relationships are open. And as God gives opportunity and somebody comes into our life, there's a place for them to experience the love of Jesus Christ in and through us and to experience the presence of God in those settings. Communion's not just for here. Matter of fact, if communion's just here, it's training us for something greater. If our relationships in the church is limited to a select few, then church becomes a clique. And I got to tell you, God has more in mind for you and God has more in mind for this place than just clicks. So the question for you today is this. Do you tolerate people who are different than you or do you love them? <laughs> you know, there's a, large, there's a big leap from toleration to love, right? Can we acknowledge that? Uh, do you tolerate or do you love them? Now, our ministry emphasis is our loving ministry. And, and Rodney and Linda, wave at them. Rodney and Linda, stand back here. Rodney and Linda are, are yeah, stand. Wave at Rodney and Linda. Look at them. They, and, and, our, and our loving ministries encompasses our church connection ministries. And, and so our prayer ministry even though that's, I think it's missional, I think prayer uh, covers everything, but prayer ministry and Sue Timmons' ministry fits within that. Our, our, um, our um, fellowship dinners. We do three main fellowship dinners a, a year. Um, we do a picnic, we do a Thanksgiving uh, dinner, and then we do a, um, an Easter breakfast. And so those three things. And, 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 and then our security teams. You know, we, we believe in security. I mean, you, you cannot... <laughs> You cannot gather. It would be, it'd be unreasonable. It would be a misuse of, a, of our stewardship responsibility to, to not be aware of the risk in gathering anymore, right? And so we have a security team, and, and we need more members. If you'd like to be a part of that, we, you know, we have cards on the back rack. It, it encompasses the family table. And right now, I am kind of coordinating that. Josh and Mara are helping me. If God's laid that on your, your heart, that that's something that you'd like to be a coordinator of, guess what? I will give it up with pleasure. Uh, but I'm not going to twist anybody's arm to do it. I mean, I want, I want you to feel like God's tugging you in that direction. Our ladies' ministry, our men's ministry are part of the loving ministries. And then our hospitality teams and our coffee teams. 
uh, the, the, this, this welcoming of people when they come into our place. <laughs> I love our coffee ministry. I love our welcoming embrace of people. And, and, and it, it's the beginning. And so we have a video, Terry needs more hospitality team members. And, 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 and we're covering right now, but I think God has more in mind. And so we have a short video from Terry. Hello, my name is Terry Ciaraldi, and I would love to speak to you regarding a way we can serve in our church that can be rewarding to both you and others. It's our hospitality ministry. The definition of hospitality is the friendly, generous reception of guests, visitors, or strangers. And this is how we want to be to those who enter our church each Sunday. But we need more hospitality volunteers to serve as greeters. Two, as the Bible says, offer hospitality to one another. This would be for approximately half an hour once a month, first or second service. Please give it a try, and let's all be God's hospitality to the world. If you are interested in this ministry, please let me know, and God bless. Terry, why don't you stand and let him wave at you, too. She's right in the middle. There she is. Wave at Terry. Some of you are gifted at this. And we need you. We need to welcome people as they come to this place. Some of you are not gifted in this. If you're not gifted in this, raise your hand. Go ahead. God wants to stretch you. That um, This does not exclude you. Because I believe in the serving, God stretches us. Can, can, can I be honest? I, I hate people. No, that's... <laughs> I'm completely introverted. I am. I, I, I am an introvert. I like nothing better than just being by myself at times. And God's called me into the ministry. And let me tell you, being an introvert and being a pastor is a very difficult thing, right? And so, you know, the natural thing for me to do after a Sunday morning sermon is not to stand at the back door and greet you. But the thing I want to do most is go into my office and cry. <laughs> See, sometimes God calls us to things to stretch us to more. And, and there's some of you out there that's, you know, we talked about loving our neighbor and you think, man, I just can't do it. And perhaps this ministry, half hour, once a month, and there'll be more opportunities. If more people join, we'll use you in other places. Maybe this ministry is an opportunity to stretch you, not just here, but in your neighborhood. We're going to close with communion. This, this centering practice in the early church. And the centering practice in the early church was an open table. You know, we don't think about this as a table because, you know, we don't sit around a table and eat, but, but in this age, Jews and Gentiles would not eat with each other. As a matter of fact, when they, when they crucified Jesus, the Jews went to, to Pilate and they stood outside in the courtyard because to go into his home would have made him unclean. And yet the centering action 
of the church in the early days was this gathering at a table. You know, the Jews understood that their mealtimes were a holy experience, and they understood this holy experience as meaning we got to exclude anyone. <laughs> and then the Christian church comes and said, no, this holy experience means we're going to include more people so that they can experience Jesus because he's right here. Couldn't be tainted by Gentiles. Men and women wouldn't have gathered in this way in a typical function, maybe in a family, but not just in public. Slaves and masters did not eat together. And this was their centering event, their centering sacrament. And when we take this meal together, what's intended to be conveyed is not just our thanks to God, although that's part of it, and our experience of God, but our experience with one another. That, that, that's why some churches, I, I love communion, I'd like to do it every week. I would. I, I, I think it's, it's, I think, you know, a means of grace. I want to receive as much grace as I can. Some people will say, well, if you do it every week, it'll lose its significance. Well, then just pray once a month, okay? <laughs> you know, it doesn't lose its significance as long as we keep our emphasis on it. You know, I read the Bible every day, and I've not lost my love for the Bible. My love for the Bible's grown. And, and so I, I would love to do communion every week because I think it says something significant. It says that we've been bought with a price, that, that we weren't saved by our own merit, but what was the precious blood and body of Jesus Christ, we have been reconciled with our Father. It reminds us physically that he is in this place. It reminds us that God can use ordinary things to demonstrate his grace and his mercy and his presence. And it reminds us that we are one. One Lord, one baptism, one faith, one table. And so as we receive this, it's intended to say something about our relationships with each other. And so the question you ask, I want you to ask as you receive the elements today is this. Is, and be honest. Allow the Spirit to speak. Is there space in my life for others? Who could I have coffee with this week that I don't typically spend time with? Who, who in this place is a part but have not been drawn in? Who can I have a meal with? Spirit, help us not just to see this as an aspect of a worship service, but a training tool for how we live our lives. All heads bowed, all eyes closed.